Hello and welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. I'm Ronan Gain. You can find me over on Twitter at or underscore gain MBA. As always, I'm joined by my boy from Boston, Christian Nambu, over on Twitter at Chris Nambu. What's up, man? What's going on? You're plugging our personal Twitters. Yeah, I apologize. I'm going to need to up my uh, my content game. Well, you could you could find what what little we'll do on uh on our coast to coast uh, handle as well. I, I think that's that's maybe a little better. <laughs> that's where that's where the most important thing is. And uh, just a shout out to everyone to remember that you can now watch all of our episodes in full on YouTube. You can check out the awesome decor of our individual at home recording areas. And also see if I really look like Nikola Jokic, because that's what I've been hearing from uh, from some of the fans out there on our on our TikTok. Nikola Jokic, <laughs> are you a Jokic brother? Are you going to be showing up to any Heat games? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll have to wait. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, <laughs> today we're going to discuss the Cleveland Cavaliers. Where does Colin Sexton fit with this team now? Is the three big lineup the future for this team, and can they rely on Karis LeVert? But first, we're going to take a little look at the Toronto Raptors. Where have they improved from last season? Can their young core take a big leap in 2022-2023? And what should the ambitions be? Chris, what do you think about these Raptors? Fifth seed last year, 48 and 34. What's 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 kind of what is, what's the ambition for this team you think going into next season? Well, the ambition, why don't we start there? And we, we've been on a roll being super positive uh, this last episode. So we'll, we'll kick it off like that. I'll say it simply. This is a team that could be looking at having three potential all-stars next season. If that's if they're looking at best case scenario, they're looking at Fred Van Vliet, who had his first all-star appearance and had it, albeit having an injured season. Pascal Siakam, who had another all-NBA nod and was not an all-star, but is absolutely an all-star caliber player. Both those guys played incredible seasons last year and did it without each other at very large segments of the season. Only played 21 games together. And Scotty Barnes, rookie of the year, who in the playoffs looked ready for that moment and throughout the regular season was just flashing everything that you could have possibly hoped for the fourth pick of the draft, a guy who came out of Florida state as a bench guy. So he's a guy that I think you could think of as an early all-star kind of guy in the same way that LaMelo made it in the second year. I think Scotty can think of uh, pushing for that this year. And anytime you can argue that you're going to have three all-stars on your team, you got to have pretty high ambitions. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's definitely, uh, definitely staring on the positive note. I love, I love that from you. Uh, I, I I totally agree. I think I think Siakam and Van Vliet are definitely going to be looking at it, especially once once they stay healthy. I actually didn't realize it was such a low number of the games they actually played together last yeah. year, and you still think how well this team was able to do because of uh, because of the young guys, because of the way their their uh, their main rookie was able to step up, and just uh, the performances of both Siakam and Van Vliet when they were on the floor. And they still got Nick Nurse leading the way for them. It, similar to to Miami, I just think once as long as Nurse is there coaching that team, this team are always going to be competitive and in and around it. And then when they get the the quality of a guy like Scotty Barnes, who was you could argue was pretty much slept on uh, out of by everyone other than uh, other than the Raptors going in, going into that draft, and then Siakam and Van Vliet as well. It all it all molds together, and if it all comes good. So the success can be there and they can definitely 
match what they did last year because they could get the fifth seed next year with uh, another three or four wins. They could still be a fifth seed because this this is an Eastern Conference that's getting better. Yeah, and and I think they're they're one of these young teams in the East that are fortunate to be in a competitive position with very low pressure. And and I think in a number of ways. Number one, with the whole Durant, uh, with the, the Durant trade discussions kind of getting muddled, they can wait. They can be patient. They don't have to push now. They have young pieces. They have a competitive core already. And also in terms of uh, the season, I think they're good enough to not worry about not experimenting because I think the Raptors and Nick nurse in particular, I'm glad you mentioned him is they're always going to experiment. They're always going to try new things. And I think you, you saw that, especially even in the year that they had Kawhi is that they're going to try and learn throughout the season. They're going to be patient, but they're still going to be competitive where I think they're, I don't want to say guaranteed a playoff berth, but without going full throttle and experimenting with uh, these new guys who are evolving in their roles, they'll still be able to compete for a playoff seed, um, whether it's in the top six or whether it's um, top eight. I think they're going to be there. Um, but let, let's highlight some of the young guys. And I think we can talk all day about Scotty Barnes. I mean, maybe we just start there briefly because I think there's plenty of podcasts out there you can listen to about how awesome he is because he's, I mean, he's just real deal. We, we talked about him in the playoffs, how he looked um, playing off ball, playing defense, um, we love talking wingspan on this podcast. That seven two wingspan just shines every time he's switching. Um, the way he cuts off ball and the way that he passes the ball too. I think that is the one thing I want to highlight with Scotty Barnes coming into this season. A guy who has legitimate point guard vision, a guy who has passing skill with either hand, who can pass on the move, pass in the post, pass them facing out. He can pass in any situation. And I think that's going to be a transformative dynamic that we see this season from him in his second year, number one, from him having a little bit more maturity playing in the half court. He's talked a lot about that in the, uh, in the half in this uh, postseason, off season rather. Um, and also I think his teammates just getting that bit of chemistry. We talked about how their their best lineup um, or that they're, I think what will be their best lineup only played 21 games together. They don't have that chemistry yet to be able to, um, kind of sense when he's going to make those passes. Cause he, he has just insane. No look pass. He has these Jokic like uh look away passes and he loves to have that flair. Uh, Magic Johnson even compared himself to him in terms of his open court flair, which is you know, any time Magic Johnson's comparing himself to a player, you, you got to love to hear that. But I think the passing in particular and the playmaking that we've uh, we've harped on, we mentioned it in our uh, mini preview of them. Um, they were second to last um, in assists per game. They need that playmaking. And I think a lot of that's going to have to come from Scotty Barnes point Scotty Barnes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's also where it'll get into the kind of things he needs to improve on to kind of make, be able to make that leap to possible all-star level, the ability to, to add a bit more depth in his, in terms of one-on-one scoring, and half court offense, that's kind of the that's those those are the main holes in his game. Obviously, the athleticism is there, the dunks, the scoring in the paint, the defense, that's all there. We've seen him, he's got the ability to handle the ball and play make, but they can't run as many plays through him if he cannot score. Uh, if he's he's gonna face a lot more people in front of him this year. Yeah, he, he got a lot more open lanes last year. He's gonna be he's gonna be 
under more pressure to deliver, similar to what we said on LaMelo Ball last week after winning Rookie of the Year. He's going to be in a lot more scouting reports. A lot of teams are going to focus on him when they're playing the Toronto Raptors, so he's going to have to make these additions to his game, and it's great that what we're hearing from him is how he's working on that, and, and his trainer did an interview with uh, with uh, Sports Illustrated there just the other day talking about the improvements that he's making in his half-court offense and his go-to kind of shots and moves in the post and different things like that because that's how he takes the next leap and it's great to see that he's already looking to do it this is a 21 year old kid we're talking about and he's already focused on taking the next steps he's not going to rely on the fact that he was rookie of the year and just coast off that for the year he's already looking to make improvements so that he can go and take an extra leap next year which is always a real big positive and I think it's it's a big thing for him. Like if he brings up his three point shooting from around thirty percent to closer to thirty five, if he's around thirty four percent mark next year, that's that's a huge bump up for the floor spacing of the team and the amount of plays they can put him into, uh, pick and pops that sort of thing for him. Yeah, I think the, you know, I'm I'm willing to be patient on the scoring. Actually, I, you know, for, for a guy who scored fifteen points per game, um. I I think a lot of that's just going to come from shooting better than 73% at the line. Um, and of course, shooting a little bit better uh, on threes. So if, if you look at his, his this is actually surprising me, his, his catch and shoot threes were worse than his pull-ups. I mean, you're shooting 31% on pull-ups, 29% on, on catch and shoot threes. And if you look at actually um, his ability to shoot off the dribble, you, you notice he has a really, really nice, clean pull-up game. Uh, in the mid range and the more dribbles he takes, the higher his field goal percentage goes up, which, which is a fascinating to me, actually, when you think about him as more of a short role playmaker um, kind of in a Draymond green way. And I think that's a lot of where his, his offense is going to come from off of cuts off of the short roll, And then in certain situations, he'll definitely have uh, maybe pick and pop opportunities. But I, I think, I think for him really, I, he had three and a half assists per game. I, I, I did not have a chance to look up um, assist opportunities uh, where people are just completely muffing passes from him. But if he stays stagnant and he's just at you know, 16 and a half points per game, his efficiency is a little bit up. I suspect his touches might kind of stay similar just because you, if you're incorporating uh, Siakam and Van Vliet, both healthy in the beginning of the year in their primes, I, they're not going to take too much of a step back, I don't think. Um, but I don't want to see that, as, that assist total go up. If he goes, like, my expectations, say, 16 and a half points per game, eight rebounds per game, and six or seven assists per game, I think that's a formula where the Raptors are looking at the best-case scenario in terms of what their team is rounding out to be without a Durant-level trade. Because if you have a passing hub like him, you really empower him to do that. I think the shooting will come along. It, it will come along eventually. Um, and if you are working on his ability as a playmaker, first and foremost, that's the thing that's going to take him to the next level as a superstar level player. Yeah, I think that that's that's absolutely true, especially that was highlighted last year. I think it was, it was often mentioned that he didn't, he's not the type of player that you need to run plays through him or he needs the ball in his hands to be able to wreak havoc on defense and score the basketball, which is, which is a really big positive and how he can, how we can fit so well so early into this into this Raptors team. Yeah. Um, other mentions because this this is uh this isn't just about Scotty Barnes, it's about the rest of the guys. And I want to think about a guy uh like Precious Achua. 
who, again, just in the, some brief playoff time, you know, he came from the heat and he didn't have a chance to really shine in Miami with Bam Adebayo there. And he is just a confident shooter, man. I mean, once that, once that stroke heart starts coming along, I, I really feel like he's going to be a serious contributor on this team. Do, do you feel like Precious Achua is going to have an impact on them being more competitive next year? I think he's, he definitely can. I think we saw that jump that he took uh, compared to his his first year in Miami and then moving out over to um, over to Toronto. We, we saw him take that jump. We saw him show an ability to be able to, to space, space the floor. He took a jump in terms of his work on the glass and in terms of his his scoring obviously he had a few more opportunities, but it wasn't nothing was given to him. He had to work to be able to to make that jump and be a competitive asset for this Toronto team. And if he can make a similar sort of jump next year, he's a he's a he's a very important piece for this Toronto team and how they can flow on both ends of the court. Yeah. So thirty-seven point five percent catch and shoot three-point shooter. And you know, I, I think that can that can actually creep up. Um, and his defense, too, I think he just really embodies the exact kind of defender that they like to have on this Toronto Raptors team. He's a small bit. He's a small center. He's only 6'8", but he fits that mold. He fits that mold of a guy like Thaddeus Young they have on this team. Um, fits that mold of your Scotty Barnes, your your uh, Pascal Siakams. And they just have so – they just have too many of these mobile bigs who are going to be able to switch onto everything. And he, he just fits. And I think he fits much better than um, Chris Boucher, who's just too, he's too skinny to really be a force on the inside. So I, I think, I suspect that Achua should be eating up as many minutes as possible from Boucher. And um, another guy actually uh, is, is Coloco. Before I move on to him, if you just look at uh, Achua's defense, if you look at, if you look at uh, tracking data on NBA, he is a net positive all over the court. And I think that really demonstrates how versatile he is. I mean, he is a net positive on uh, opponents shooting percentages from three, from mid range and in the paint everywhere. He is uh, contesting shots, blocking shots. And you bring in another guy like Christian Coloco, who is young, who is raw. He's going to be a rookie this year, but I think that he has a chance early on. And you see how Nick nurse empowers players who are ready uh, he has a chance to be, I think, a very impactful player for this team in a way that they really, really need. They really need that defensive rebounding to get better. They were, I believe, 22nd in that category last year, and they just need more of an interior presence, even though they're so good at switching. Yeah, 100%. I think, obviously, you notice with the size, that's where we kind of see the impact on the on the amount of boards, obviously they have solid size all over the team rather than just a couple of bigs and then a couple of smaller guys that almost works better when it, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to getting the boards, but you, you always want that guy that, you know, can just go in there and will always just clean up and, and grab boards no matter what, even if that's the only thing he does while he's on the floor, which is a, a important asset for any team to have. Yeah. Then in college, Coloco blocks 2.8 shots a game playing around 25 minutes. Um, I don't think he's going to hit that. I, you know, if he's playing, if he's playing 18 minutes a game for this team, um, I, I think that's enough. I mean, a guy like him at seven, one, two twenty five, Um, and I think the shooting potential too, like they, he's, you, you've seen little, little flashes of it. Same way that we talk about Mark Williams. I mean, all these guys just have at least some 
flash of a stroke, but that that's a guy I'm really interested in. And that's, what's fun about the Raptors, man. Like you, you have um, question marks, but they're positive question marks. Um, I'm not worried if they're losing games, but they're giving minutes to um, they're giving more touches to Scotty Barnes as a point guard. And he throw he turns it over a ton. Even, even Delano Banton, this is maybe this is a deep take, but Delano Banton, uh, a six, eight, like Scotty Barnes, Jr. Scotty Barnes light, where he handles the ball in the open court. He's a long wing. He can switch onto everything. They just have guys who I think can pop. I mean, Delano Banton, I think could be another source of playmaking for them. And he's six, eight. He could, he could defend one through four. Um, and then they got they got grinders like Ken Birch, and they brought in Otto Porter Jr., a guy who's a serious contributor on the Warriors and the championship. They they have a deep team, and they have a lot of potential, so they can be patient. But man, I wouldn't be surprised if and I'm, I feel like we're going to say this for so many teams in our Eastern Conference preview. Which again, I'm going to say this over and over again. As a Bulls fan, it's kind of scary. <laughs> they just have a lot of potential to really pop here. They have three All Stars. They have burgeoning young players. That is something that is going to be a recipe for success, not just now but into the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those guys that you're kind of thinking maybe they might be able to do something. Then you guys, guys that you think might actually be able to do something. When you look at Gary Trent Jr., he's still only 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Year he had last year he averaged 18 points per game shot 38.3 percent from three which was the sixth best percentage in the league he had the first positive mm. plus minus of his career when on the floor and he was in the top 20 in terms of three-pointers made along with uh, fred van vliet so you look at those two when you're thinking they're probably one of the best if not the best uh three-point shooting backcourt there is in the NBA at this moment, like Gary Trent Jr. off catch and shoot trees is just an absolute dream. He can create his own shot. We don't, we didn't, we probably didn't see enough of it. That's probably an area where he will need to develop this year. But if he can add a bit more in the mid range and a bit more kind of scoring at the rim, plus the addition of some more facilitating, which we should see with the, with the growth we're going to see from, from guys like Achua and Barnes and things like that he could take another big jump and he could, he could be a guy who's not too far away from being considered in terms of uh, all-star play as well. Yeah. Here, here's well where, and this is what comes with good coaching and good management, good organizations is I think you can think positively. Like we don't have to be outrageous here and think everyone's going to take a big jump, but you know, for, for, for less, for, for teams who have had less success with team with player development, um, I won't name names, uh, the Sacramento Kings or uh, in, in his historically, the Timberwolves, it seems like that's changing, but teams like that, we have a lot of young talent. The question marks are a bit scarier. And I think we could look at this negatively and say, all right, you have a lot of guys who need touches. They need to grow. That could be negative. You don't, you don't know who's going to want to work for that contract. You don't know who's going to want to prove themselves on a team like this. But I think they've done such a good job getting guys in their locker room, on the court, who are unselfish and they're versatile. They can play so many different ways that they're okay with the way that Nick Nurse sets things up. They're okay with playing off ball. Like if, Gary, if, if Nick Nurse is like, Gary, you're going to shoot third, you're going to shoot 10 threes a game. We, we don't need you to do anything else. I think you'd be happy with that. You'd be happy with that. And this is, this is a team that was 23rd in three-point percentage last year. 
they were 19th in three points made last year. They need more gunning. They need more shots from the outside. And I think it's going to come with more consistent uh, games played with uh, Trent Jr. and with Van Vliet. But I think just him continuing to be that guy is fine. I, I, I'm not, I hope that uh, a guy like him, because he, he didn't, he, he had like three, like 40 point games in a row or something. He, he had like a month. Uh, it was like January, February. I can't remember when, but he would just go off. And he's one of those guys that, you know, when, when he starts getting hot, he can go crazy. Um, and you just hope a guy like him, he doesn't try and do too much on a team like this, where I think the, there's a delicate balance in trying to figure out everybody's roles with everyone being so young and everyone having so much potential. But, um, but yeah, I mean, fantastic shooter. If he delivers the same as he did this year, next season, that's, that's a big win-win. That's, that's huge for him. Yeah. He just needs to keep doing what he's doing. I think, and and if he increases his percentages, awesome. I, I don't want to see him do too much with the ball, though. I, I will say that. Yeah, that's right. Um, OG, OG, that's and an OB too. Yeah, OG. Oh OG, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to him. How do you feel about him uh, coming into the season? Excited because he's a guy who gets seems to get better every year that he's that he's playing. He's still only twenty five years old. This is a guy where you're you're like, can he be this elite three and D type of player? Like, you, it's always kind of been the the question mark with him. It's something that you always look at, but then little things, little niggles, and little injuries disrupt him when he starts getting into a groove. I mean, he had one spell where he was out for thirteen straight games last year. Then he's back, I think, for like ten, and then he was out for another fifteen. So it's not just small things he's out for. It always seems to be extended periods when he's getting into a flow or he's really starting to to feel at home as part of the team and then the injuries hit but if he can stay healthy he can be such an important two-way player for this team yeah i mean the again the these these plethora of big wings that they have that can switch they can play multiple positions um, I, I think we saw we saw improvement when he's not injured. We see improvement that he's much more confident. Um, I think he's learned how to be an off-ball shooter. Um, in 2020, you shoot in 42 percent from three. You saw it as a captain shoot, uh, three-point shooter, 40 percent last year, and I think he kind of sticks around that mark. Um, what he got better at is um, what we want him to get better at is being a pull-up shooter you know, attacking closeouts. Um, you saw the potential for that. And two years ago, shooting 33% on pull-ups, 34% rather. And it went down a little bit last year. And I think a lot of that just has to do with consistency. I I don't know if, for me, this feels like this is, we, we've approached the, the most squeeze we can get out of him as an on-ball player. No, I and I think that again, in a similar light to what I feel about Gary Trent Jr., is that what you have on this team is a potentially generational uh, Swiss Army knife player like Scotty Barnes, who can legitimately be an elite on-ball playmaker. I, I think I think I'm done a little bit with the experimentation with OG being like a like a three and D plus. You know, I, I think we can be happy with him playing credible defense on one end. And being a stationary catch and shoot, uh, three point shooter on the wings, and diving to the basket on on pick and rolls, like you, you can use him as as a role man. He's got a big sturdy frame, and I, I think that's that's a role for him where he can he can use his size as a rebounder. He can he's a great cutter. 
and he's a good catch and shoot player, but I don't, I don't want to keep experimenting with him as a, as a playmaker on the wings. Yeah, I think I think I totally to- totally agree on that. I think final final word on the Raptors then before we move over to those uh, those Cleveland boys. We're thinking kind of similar to to Charlotte. Uh, all things coming together, they could have another good year next year, but there's no real rush to demand playoff success as soon as next year. I feel like uh, the. Uh, expectations aside, for sure. But when you when you talk about realistic um, outcomes, I think they have so much more. They have so much more um, of a reason to compete right now. When you have Scotty, when you have two All Stars in your team right now, and I think a little bit different from the Hornets in that no expectations. It's fine if you're in the lottery. And for the Raptors, I'm like no expectations for top five, top six. But you should be in the playoffs. You should be gaining more experience because we. We're going to look at that three, that four to uh, loss to the 76ers in the first round and see it as a first round exit, but they competed, man. Like the 76ers had to turn it up a notch. 76ers did not cruise through them. They had to turn it up and Harden was rattled. And the, I think the best part of what they did in the playoffs was um, defense. I mean, the they had to get incredible production out of Tyrese Maxey from the perimeter, but the Raptors were able to hold their own uh, and many stretches against uh, Embiid, even though they're outsized. So I think there's proof of concept that they can be competitive both in the regular season and the postseason with this scrambling, switch everything um, type defense, even against the most dominant interior force in the league. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely, and that's that's a that's what I think. Think you think you think you've made the right call on them there. Well, let's let's switch over to something that's a little bit tougher to call on the the Colin Sexton conundrum over in Cleveland. It's it's a bit of a mess. Uh, they've offered him a three year, forty million dollar deal, which just seems like a a slap in the face, and just them throwing something out there so that maybe that uh, maybe he'll he'll get nervous and just take that sort of deal. He is coming off the back of an injury. You still worry about his size and his defense. There's still big issues for him, which is why he's not a guy that a lot of teams are looking at and that a lot of teams want to pay big money to. But can he still be a part of this Cleveland Cavaliers future? The easy answer is yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think the really difficult part of evaluating him is that the Cavs had such good success without him. But... um. I mean, I'll, I'll let you pull up the off on numbers because so much of this has to do with uh, Darius Garland and deciding what is their future, who are they committing to? And I think them committing to Garland isn't a, it wasn't a one or the other type situation. I, Consexton is not a pure point guard where Darius Garland clearly is a lead elite point guard, but I, I think they can still play together. We don't have to look at the success of the Cavaliers and extrapolate that as a nature of Sexton was pulling them down. I think Garland had a great year without him, but what, what, what do you tell me? So you, you, you have the on off numbers for Garland and Sexton. Um, I don't particularly think they're incriminating. I think they're encouraging for Garland to have more, uh, to have more volume and to do well with it, but it, it doesn't feel incriminating that Sexton was this uh, dragging force to, to Garland. So you tell me. Yeah, I think there's, there's it's definitely it's definitely not not that element, but it definitely is positive for Garland, and it's something that I'm sure the Cavs have looked at 
and that's why they they invested and gave uh, gave Garland the max deal uh, earlier earlier this summer. So last season he played fifty nine games without Sexton. Obviously Sexton, Sexton went down early with that injury. Garland's points per game went up by five and a half. His assists per games went up by two point nine. His field goal percentage increased by 0.5%. Obviously, only small, but that's a big positive when he's taken nearly four more shots a game. Mm-hmm. Three-point percentage took a little bit of a hit, but it's still a positive 37.6 for a guy who's likely taken a lot of contested three-point shots because the ball's often in his hands. So he was he was up there averaging about 22.6 points, 8.7 assists, 1.3 steals. And shooting a solid uh, near 46-38 splits, which was vitally important for this Cleveland Cavaliers team and for uh, for Darius Garland to really see what level of player that he was. And then you look at Sexton without Garland in the in the previous season, 2020-2021. He only actually played 12 games without him, but it's a small, a much smaller window, but at the same time. He only increased his points per game by 0.3. His assists went up by 1.2. His field goal percentage took a pretty big hit, minus 5%. And his three-point percentage went up by 1%. So it was very small, marginal things that you wouldn't really look into too much. But you think in that smaller window, you you would be expecting it to go up that extra bit more because you think Colin Sexton thinking, oh, i got to carry the team that bit more because Garland wasn't here. But that that didn't really happen. He was he was probably a better player with Garland. They played 48 games the previous year. He was averaging 24 points, four assists, one steal, and shooting just under 49% from the field and 37% from three. So you look at it and you think, Garland better without Sexton. Sexton not uh, definitely better with, with Garland. But at the same time, Sexton had a very limited chance with this better roster. And Garland mm-hmm, got exactly. a more honest opportunity to play with a more competitive roster compared to what Sexton had, which I think is something that you have to look at when you when you uh, when you analyze these when you analyze these sort of stats. Yeah, exactly. And it, it that's precisely correct. And I'm glad we didn't bring up any like plus minus, because I mean uh, the Cavs were just such a different team last year, and especially in the first half of the season. Um and I think a lot of that coincided with with Bickerstaff. That it coincided with uh, the synergy that you got from Mobley and Allen, um, and just the immediate maturity, like that 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 third season jump that you got with Garland. Like all those things coalesced, and I think that still could have coalesced with Sexton there. Honestly, I thought I thought that they would have been a better team with him there. I mean, he's he's he was coming off a twenty four. Uh, point per game season and i mean he was shooting 51 percent on twos he was shooting 37 percent on threes he was a 40 percent and this is 2021 by uh, 2020 2021 um i'm not going to count his 11 games in 2022 just given that you know it, it was clearly that he was on a cold streak and before he got really into any sort of groove but so it's shooting 41 percent on catch and shoot threes which i think is huge to to think about how he's going to fit into this team this year. They need three-point shooting, absolutely need three-point shooting, and they need him to be more of an off-ball player. And I think he can absolutely do that. Um, and, and I'll say this, this, this is, I, I think this is undeniably true that Colin Sexton right now, he's 
the best athlete on the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. He is the best um, rim threat that they have outside of, I mean, obviously Jared Allen and Mobley, but a guy with the ball in his hands, he is going to put the most pressure on the rim out of anyone on this team. And I think outside of, you know, Okoro is a good slasher, good cutter, but Colin Sexton, I'd say is also the best cutter on this team. So those things put that alongside Garland as he's blossomed into a floor general. Those are things that you want to have on a team like this. I, I don't, I don't see, I don't see the the disconnect that some people have that, okay, Garland's turned into this lead guard. We, we can't have a guy like Sexton who's going to mess that all up. I, I don't see it that way. I see that he needs to adjust his role a little bit and he's going to need to take more off ball threes. He's clearly shown that there is uh, there is some room for growth, but there is efficiency there and he just needs to refine his role. And I'll say this, this is the important question. Is he, is he a better fit for this team than um, Karis LeVert? That's probably the bigger question. Those two are going to be competing for uh, that two guard spot all season long. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the way you were talking about it there, you almost look at Sexton now and you think, can he play a role, a Gary Trent Jr. sort of role with this? Yeah. With this Cavaliers team, I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a that's a really good example when you think about it. If he can just accept not having the ball in his hands as much, rely more on catch and shoot opportunities, and he can still be a really big threat in this team, and he can go and earn the a bigger contract. So you know, if he turns down the three year forty million, does he get a one year? Can he just get yeah, it's a, a qualifying offer and he's and he's a unrestricted free agent next year? Yeah, so that's, and it, that's, that's it feels like that's where it's going. Yeah, like that's that's where it's looking like it's going to go. But that's that's the team taking a chance because Colin Sexton is a guy who believes in his own ability, he has the talent, he could come and have a really big year and put himself right in that shop window for next season. So it's a bit of a risk that the team is taking, but I guess it's one they're willing to take simply because he is coming off the back of an injury and they aren't 100% sure if he is the the right fit for this team. So maybe they need a year where he, he kind of has to prove it to them again. Yeah, and that, that's, the, that's the tough thing. I mean, that, that's the behind-the-scenes uh, personal agenda type thing that, you know, if a team has the opportunity to underpay somebody, they, they have to. Because any opportunity that uh, a team has to overpay somebody, they have to as well. So they're going to take the the chance to underpay him if they can. And does that bite them in the butt next year? Maybe. Um, but I think the Cavs have proven they can be good without Sexton. So it's up to Sexton to prove that he can make this team better. And that's, for, that's not just for him to stay with the Cavs. That's for him to prove to other teams that he can be a legitimate two guard. Cause I, I think that the league has been pretty keen on his lack of elite uh, playmaking ability for others, at least. Um, and I don't think that's a knock on it. I, I think if he is a 20 point per game score on good efficiency, that's valuable in this league. That's absolutely valuable. And that does contribute to winning obviously. So I, I think we can, we can close on Colin Sexton and that, I think there are plenty of ways that he can contribute to this team, undoubtedly. And it just comes down to um, whether or not that coalesces or not. 
because you also have you also have Ricky Rubio. So I think the clear role for Colin Sexton on this team is to be an off-ball machine, which he can be, except that role. And I think he would. I I really believe he'd do that better than Karis Levert. Karis Levert is not a great uh, off-ball threat either. I mean, he's similar efficiency, but on much lower volume. He's not super great as a movement shooter. Not, neither is Colin Sexton, but I think at Colin Sexton's size and his form, it'll be a lot easier for him to adjust to that sort of role as opposed to Karis LeVert. I think he needs a ball a little bit more in his hands. Yeah, 100%. I think uh, Karis LeVert, I, I, I'm already viewing him as the guy who possibly is the the bench spark plug for this team. Mm-hmm. I know he'll want, to, he'll want to fill a starting role, but I don't think that that's really him. I mean, he, he's had enough time this league to prove that he is – a, a proper legit start player, but he he hasn't been able to to prove it yet. I think uh, obviously last year, I think he only played 19 games the Cavs. He started 10 of those to be fair, and he averaged about 13 and a half points, about three boards, four four assists on pretty mediocre efficiency, if not bad. He's got to be able to take the jump. He he's gonna have hopefully had a, a healthy off season. And he's had time to adapt to this Cleveland system. So he should be accepting of it. He's going to a sixth season now. He's 27 years old. This is his prime time. This is what this is the, the best years of his career should be ahead of him. If he stays healthy, he can be a big contributor to this team. And if he can accept not having this starting role, because on average, Trevor's career, he's missed. Uh, a little over 25 and a half games a season, which is is pretty big for a guy who's had, had such a young career and, and struggled to make the impact that I guess he believes that he should. But if he can accept a bench role, he can be a legit spark plug for this team and it can be something that they they really need. I, I think, yeah, and we got to we, we gotta remember also that, um, you know, he had, he had the the cancer thing that they had found, which was so lucky they found that when he went to the Pacers um, foot in the foot injuries, definitely that that's something that you, you keep an eye on. Um, but he's contracted through the end of next season. So it, it's also, it's also a contract year for him contract year for, for um, Sexton as well, if he ends up staying in the qualifying. So that, that's going to be a huge, huge thing there. I, I just want to highlight the efficiency here. Um, 32% from three, he shot 49.7% on twos. A lot of those on pull-ups. If you, if you look at his pull-up twos, 42%, not great. Um, and you look at his efficiency with the ball in his hands as well, all below 45%. I I'm just, I'm not sold on him being a super efficient mid-range shooter, which at times when he gets hot, like that's where he's alive. Like with, with an active dribble, especially in the pick and roll, he can use his size to get to his floaters, to get to his mid range. Uh, he's got long strides, great hesitation moves in the middle of the paint to snake his way. And then there's always flashes of that. Um, but what does this team need? And I mean, they absolutely, they just absolutely need the shooting and they absolutely need to continue this culture of defense that, Karis has never shown the ability to do. And that's okay. I mean, that I think, you know, like we talk about with Trey, I'm not going to harp on Karis being a bad defender because he just doesn't have the foot speed. His, his hips are still a little bit 
is we've been waiting for his hips to, to flip and be kind of have that, that quick instinct, especially with his size. We wanted him to have that, that uh, versatility on defense, but he just doesn't have the instincts for it. But then you look at a guy like Oche Abaji, senior coming out of college, looks like a great three-point shooter and prospects to be a very, very, very good wing defender. When you look at the end of the season and they're competing for the playoffs, what's the kind of guy that you want to have next to Garland? What kind of archetype? A inefficient, streaky, pull-up, mid-range shooter? Or a true 3 and D player like Abaji? That's that's a tough decision because like this is a guy who I mean he's he's making 18 million a year. You want him to contribute. You you want a guy who's gonna score. But I I feel like when you when you're looking at these two guys, like you're gonna want to rather have a guy like Abashi. If he's if that shooting translates and that defense translates, and that's all he is right now, and you're in the first round of the playoffs. If I'm Bickerstaff, I I'd rather be giving minutes to that guy. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Let's 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 transition over and finish off with the the broader look at this at this Cleveland team. So they 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 really exploded last year with that three big lineup. It was it was mainly I think it was Garland, Okoro, Markinen, Mobley, and Jared Allen. That's where they had the most success. Of course, Allen had his injury problems later in the season. He missed twenty six games. Markinen missed twenty one games. But that was what helped them obviously the addition of Mobley to be, go from the 25th rated offense in 2020-2021 to the 7th rated, or sorry, defense, they have the 7th rated defense then last season. So I think that's going to be the plan coming into the season is to to play with a similar lineup. Just a question of do either Sexton or Levert get into that starting position ahead of Okoro, I think will probably be the only question mark in the, in the opening weeks of the season. Yeah, just to take a look, um, in 19 games played together, Lowry, Allen, Garland, Takoro, Mobley, uh, they had an offensive rating 115.3, defensive rating 103.7. That's a net rating of 11.6. That's that's an elite team. That's an absolutely undeniably elite team. And where does you replace who in that lineup? Okoro or Markinen? Do you do you go away from that three big? I mean, it was it was nice last year. It, it definitely was an interesting uh, an interesting switch up. Very refreshing to see someone just try something different, and it and it did work at times. Like their size overwhelmed, but I think specifically for for Markinen, he was okay. And uh, this <laughs> breaks my heart to say that I I do have a soft spot for Markinen. I always wanted him to to blossom in Chicago, but I think as an off ball shooter, you know. He was, he's not a movement shooter. You know, he's, he's too, he's too plodding to really get separation off of screen actions. Um, his really, he still has a high release, but he still gets kind of bothered by, by closeouts. So I'm, I don't see that he brings an elite skill to the table that justifies them keeping him in the lineup and keeping Sexton out of it. Cause having Sexton and, um, Having sex and Andlever coming off the bench, that is a mess that you just don't want to deal with. Mm. Yeah, I think that I think that's uh, that's definitely true. And you look at it, even if it's Garland, Sexton, Okoro, Mobley, and Allen, we're gonna expect more from Mobley this year. Allen stays healthy, and I think the focus will be more on him just 
defending and rebounding. He actually averaged around 16 points a game for the team last year. I think it's very likely that will drop back more so towards 11, 12, and he'll very much just be used as a lob threat and maybe on the odd other possession, maybe putbacks, that sort of thing. That'll be his main goals next year. And they'll expect a bit more out of Mobley. I think we could see Mobley taking more three-point attempts. He averages about 1.3 this year. I think we could see that rise maybe to three a game, especially if mm. Marketing goes down or goes uh, goes goes to the bench. We're probably going to see them look for more. I still think Mobley's defense is the main thing with him, and they won't be expecting to try and play through him too much. But that those are kind of the slight little differences I think that we will see within this Cavaliers team as they look to find that that little bit more balance between the defense and offense. Defense is obviously something every competitive team needs. Now they have to do the work to find that a bit more of a sweet spot between their offense uh, and defense. Do, do you think that Okoro still has a chance to to be an off like an offensive player? Do you have that out there? I, I think we talked about is do we do we even talk about his shooting splits unless I don't think we did. That's the dead season. I'm looking at uh, Isaac Okoro shooting splits. Uh, I I think his defense is where he's gonna build a career for himself in this league. I think that's 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 the that's the main thing. He just needs to be there as almost like a decoy if he can try to be on the offensive end. Not that uh, too many people are gonna be worried about him, but I think defense is the key for him. That's probably why he'll get into teams and probably get into this team. But the offense, I just don't think. I think he's had enough attempts. He's had enough tries. I just don't think that it's there for him. Yeah, and that's that's the thing for me. He is also a guy that I think could be supplanted by Abaji. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it it just comes down to being able to be an efficient three point shooter. You need to you need to have guys who are going to to help Garland, who are going to help Mobley. They need that spacing. Um, I don't I don't think Mobley's shot is there yet. It, it's it still seems a little slow. Maybe he comes into the season, his his mechanics are faster. Um, his gather just seems a bit, a bit slow. He's still a little hesitant, just really restricted to the, to the corners. Um, and I, I don't know, I actually, I'd love to see Allen still with the ball on his hands a bit in the deep post. He's a solid playmaker mm-hmm. and really, really efficient scorer in the paint. Um, but at the end of the day, they have so many ways to go with this. I, I think that the, the contract years from Levert and from Sexton, I think I'm a little less I'm I'm a little bit more worried about the dynamics of this team and how the offense works out coming off of a year with with Garland and Mobley and how they're going to grow. They're just a little bit more specific in what they need as players compared to the Raptors where they just have this amorphous um egalitarian style of playing and their guys have just proven that they can do anything and they're okay with it. I I know that Bakerstaff is really um, demonstrated an ability to create team culture, and that's shown. We're gonna have to see it in year two. We're gonna have to see it on the court as well. But what are these guys willing to sacrifice? How are they willing to carve their games out? And that's that's gonna come down to two guys, Levert and Sexton, that have not proved that they can always be efficient players and be committed committed on the defensive end. So I think either of those two will answer these questions, and probably in a big way. 
Yeah, yeah. All, all things come together. They finished eighth last year, 44 and 38. I think even all things come together, they still have another good year. I, I still think they'll probably be around the seventh or eighth seed because of how good this Eastern Conference is. They could even be up around 46, 47 wins next year and still they'll 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 end up in, in the same position as they finish this year. Yeah. Man, every time we we look at the as we continue to look at the Eastern Conference, it it's it's insane. I don't I don't know how anyone can do this exercise and actually reliably predict where anyone's going to be at. So much of this is unfortunately probably going to just come down to to injuries because all these teams are really geared up to have big seasons. That's the worst thing, and I feel like it's happening. It's happened more and more in in, in recent seasons. It always seems to be. That one player goes down, or that couple of players go down. We saw it with the, with the Hawks last year. We've seen it with the Nets. We've seen it with a few other teams. You always hate when it comes down to injuries and things that are off the court rather than just general play on the floor. Yeah, just goes to speak out. There's, there's no, there's no more super teams. No, no one's, no one's scared of anybody at this point. You know, everyone's really geared up to compete. And I, I think that's why we're, we're saving the bulls for last. I, I hope because just, I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll pull some optimism for them as well. That's what we've been. The common theme has been, has been a uh, tepid optimism and maybe I'll find some for my bulls, but it's looking tough. Um, can you, unless you get Donovan Mitchell, man, we've been waiting for that. Is, is that going to happen or what? It's, is Donovan Mitchell going to be a Nick? Is it going to happen? I, I I don't know. That's that's gone. That's gone uh, ultra quiet there. I think Danny Ainge wants uh, every pick that that the Knicks will ever have, as long as they're a franchise in the NBA. Uh, God knows that he, it's probably still more likely that he'll end up he'll end up in Miami. But uh, I mean, you're struggling for optimism as a Bulls fan. What do you how do you, how do you think I'm feeling over here as the Knicks? <laughs> All right, we'll we'll have a we'll we'll wrap up with them uh, in another another episode. But guys, thank you for uh, joining us here for our Raptors preview, our Cavs preview. Exciting seasons for these two young teams. Uh, we'll undoubtedly be competing in the playoffs, and looking forward to another season from two Rookie of the Year uh, finalists. Um, not not enough talk here for for Mobley like we did for for uh, Barnes, but I'm sure we'll have more to talk about as the season kicks off. But at any rate, hope everyone has a safe rest of your week. Thanks for joining us. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.